0: Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Quintilian said, Since an orator, then, is a good man, and a good man cannot be conceived to exist without virtuous inclinations and virtue, though it receives certain impulses from nature, requires notwithstanding to be brought to maturity by instruction. The orator must above all things study morality, and must obtain a thorough knowledge of all that is just and honorable, without which no one can either be a good man or an able speaker. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is the value of unity over division? What is true patriotism? What are the benefits of youth military programs? Wittenberg Academy's Rhetoric Three class, under the tutelage of Reverend Paul Kane, recently held their celebration of original oratory. In this episode, we join in celebrating with these scholars. Please enjoy their original orations.
1: Good morning. I'm Pastor Paul Kane, Rhetoric 3 instructor here for the Easter term of 2021. I'm a pastor and headmaster in Sheridan, Wyoming, and it is my pleasure to introduce to you Abigail.
2: Thank you. The First Amendment states Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This amendment was there to help protect us for many years. However, it seems like more and more now, we find that our rights are infringed upon. People stating the Constitution and Bill of Rights are outdated. In the history of the world, it has always been one against the other. Cain versus Abel. Germany versus America, Democrat versus Republican, or vaccinated versus unvaccinated. History is constantly repeating itself. In these times of uncertainty, we need to come together as a country instead of always ripping each other apart. There was a post I read on social media the other day that I believe says it very well. It's always something being pushed by the media to keep people divided. They know we, the people, have the power, so they keep us divided. We all need to come together. There's always something that pushes us to go over the edge. It is like when a referee makes a bad call at your basketball game and all you want to do is throw a chair. Satan tries to push us to our extremes for his enjoyment and victory. A big issue in our culture today is political views. Ever since the election of 2016, it seems like we've been pinned against one another in a constant battle between the right and the left. Who will win? What most people do not realize is every battle we face comes back to the simple reason of sin. A great example of this was Cain killing Abel, brother versus brother and jealousy. We see this battle go on in our lives all the time. The Civil War was brother against brother. And even today with these awful politics. In our culture, we applaud and discourage being different in the crowd at the same time. If you fit in their idea of different, you can say, this is how both sides of the arguments we have in this country act. There does not seem to be a lot of compromise. For example, to build the wall or to not build the wall? That is the question. Now we have come to the issue of the COVID-19 vaccination. This virus has hit our world like a truck and we are not sure if we will ever fully recover. They created this vaccination in less than a year and are trying to force everyone to get it. Whether or the vaccination is good is not the issue. The issue here is in fact that they are trying to force everyone to get it. In the state of New York on May 19th, they said vaccinated people were allowed to not wear masks, but unvaccinated still had to. They're trying to force people to feel uncomfortable when they do not get it. An article from News 4 states, the Bills and Sabres fans will need proof of vaccination to attend games in the coming season. Tuesday, Polonkart said that he has talked to the Bills about this plan, which he hopes to be in place by the summer when the NFL's preseason begins. No vaccine equals no entry. According to a slide, Polonkart showed during his news conference. A negative COVID-19 test will not be enough. After this article came out, social media went crazy with people on both sides. Many Americans who are not getting it either do not want to risk the side effects they could have or do not get vaccinations, period. But it is everyone's choice in what they believe in. That is part of the reason the First Amendment is crucial. Is this experimental vaccine something we should be forcing upon Americans who are free? Is that really freedom? Then we move on to the issue of vaccine passports. This has been the talk of the town. There are thinking of making passports to show your vaccination to let you into certain places. This situation recalled a somewhat similar situation that happened between 1935 and 1944-45, the Holocaust of the Jews. During that time, Jews were under a terrible attack and were forced to have cards they were Jews so Germans knew and could go kill them. While our situation is not as horrendous as that was, what is stopping it from going that far? Every war starts over the smallest things like jealousy or vengeance. World War I, started because one man died and everyone had alliances. They were all forced to join in battle that became very deadly. 20 million people died in World War I and it all started because of one death. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The Constitution was created to try and keep the peace. We need to stand up as a country, much like we are united in the church. When we start to divide on things like vaccinations and political parties, it all leads to death and destruction. We need to defend our right as Americans and stop letting people take that away from us. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Emily, would you prepare to go next?
3: America is considered the greatest country in the world. We have all heard this statement in one capacity or another. As of right now, though, this statement is not true. That does not mean that it cannot be true in the future or that it was, never was. True pra- patriotism for our country is not always prevalent in our country. We can say we love our country, but that does not mean that it is true patriotism. True patriotism assuredly comes from improving your country. We can do better for our country. Together, we are capable of changing and making a better nation to live in with time. To begin with, Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition for patriotism is love for or devotion to one's country. Hopefully, we all love our country the country that we live in. It would be sad if we didn't love it. This is the start of patriotism, but it does not end there. The definition continues with devotion to one's country. Devotion is dedication and loyalty. In this case, of course, it is dedication and loyalty to one's country. Dedication in that we need to support our country. But even more importantly, we also need to respect the decisions as well as support them. We need to respect in our country we need more respect in our country for people, government, and the decisions that they make. We need to respect the role of the, pre- of the president as well as other high offices in our country. Regardless of the man in the office, we cannot slander his name because that would be the opposite of respect. It is disrespectful to the office he holds and is not patriotic in any way. It is not the man or woman holding the office, but the office itself. Respect, support, dedication, and devotion to one's country are all done in different ways, but they still go into patriotism. Patriotism is not all is at an all-time low in America. The National Review says this in a 2020 article on the subject. Ungala first started asking Americans how proud they were at their country, were of their country before the 9/11 attacks attacks. 87% claimed to be extremely or very proud and only 2% said that they were only a little proud or not at all proud. Gallup recently released this year's American pride poll and the results are concerning to say the least. The extremely very powerful cohort has fallen to an all-time low of 63% while the only a little proud not at all group has swelled from 12% to 20%. One percent in the last year. If stats like this can fall by twenty-four percent in twenty years, it does not bode well for the future of our country. It has gotten harder and harder to see patriotism in America. With everything that has happened in our country in terms of support for certain people, it is hard to support a country that doesn't support its own people. There is injustice everywhere in our country in terms of color, relate, race, and religion. This is not support for the citizens in any form that we would like it to be. America was created on the basis that all men are created equal. We have not seen this to be let out by its people. This is supposed to be America's fundam- one of America's fundamental principles, but is not being shown to be implemented by it, by American citizens. The aforementioned article says that patriotism should not be an issue for different groups. But it is. Love of country shouldn't be a partisan issue, but the Gallup poll reveals that 88% of Republicans said that they were very or extremely proud to be Americans, compared to just 42% of Democrats. College graduates, people of color, and young people were the least proud to be American, according to the survey. In March 2017, 43% of respondents in their 20s said that they were extremely proud to be Americans. Today. That figure stands at just 20%. Love of country is, of course, referred to patriotism as it goes with the definition. Everything has become, a, become political, including whether Americans love America. We need to get our country on track where it needs to be in terms of patriotism in its own citizens. Again, the article takes from Mark Twain and his de- definition on patriotism. Mark Twain once defined patriotism as support your, supporting your country all the time and your government when it deserves it. Americans have historically come together during these times of crisis, but this isn't happening now, in part because many on the left don't subscribe to Twain's maxim. Some are still so outraged that 20, 62 million Americans voted for Donald Trump, that they now view our country as Irredeemable, an irredeemable, irredeemable tarnished place. Patriotism is about loving your country and being dedicated to it. And these people are blatantly not being that. It is hard to move forward for a better tomorrow when someone, some people, believe that our country never became a better place because of the last person who ran. It. This, at least for me, gives me more motivation because I know we can make America greater than it is now. America is a great country. It is not the greatest country in the world at the moment. That does not mean that it could could not be in the, be the greatest country. Greatness though, does not just happen overnight. It's a process that takes time. People need to understand that because it's obviously obvious they do not. A previous presidential slogan was make America great again. During the next presidential election, his new slogan was transitioning to greatness. He knew that greatness had not fully been completed. It definitely takes longer than four years to achieve greatness in a country, especially in one as large as ours. Others do not understand this slogan. They believe that greatness should have been achieved, or they believe that the president achieved no greatness in our country during his term subsequently that would mean no transition could happen they are so impatient for greatness that they do not even see that we could ever be great after our previous president the los angeles times interprets the slogan to mean i have failed to make america great again in my first four years but there's an election ahead so i'm using the word transition to imply that we are making progress because even though i generally don't mind mine, no one will buy that I've achieved, I've actually succeeded in making America great, or that I'll be able to anytime soon. These people believe that greatness can be achieved in four years. It takes much more time than that, than four years. With time and the support of the people, we can make America great, even greater than it is now. Patriotism is love and devotion for to one's country this includes being dedicated to one's country also supporting the nation and respecting the offices we above all need to respect the office of presidency and not rake it through the mud patriotism in america isn't at an all-time low americans themselves are not proud of the country they live in the data shows that it is at an all-time low patriotism has become a political problem it is divided us, but that just means that we have to strive harder to reverse it. Greatness in American, America can be even better. Just because America is not the greatest country right now, that does not mean it cannot be. Greatness takes time. It is not possible to just be great in a day or even just a few years. With time and a greater sense of patriotism, we can have a greater and stronger America that is made together.
1: Warren
4: is up now. Thank you, sir. The military is an extremely controversial topic in certain areas of not just the country, but around the world today. And so youth are another controversial topic and what should happen to them. So combining both of them, we get youth military programs, which are an even more controversial topic. So a youth military program, for example, the U.S. NSCC, which is the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps, for those who didn't know, can be even more controversial to people simply because it involves just not just militaristic activities but the involvement of youth in said activities. Many believe that youth military programs are somehow violent and create a very toxic environment which will have lasting effects on the youth of today. This is a very false belief that the... No- that the normal military, not just the youth military programs, are also violent and toxic in an unpleasant work environment. While the military is not an exactly perfect work environment, cases of toxicity are and such are extremely rare. The notion of violence first comes from the fact that the military is involved in wars and is sometimes deployed in foreign countries. Now, certainly war is very violent and frowned upon, but most veterans do not come home with an insatiable mentality focused solely on violence. In fact, many are just like the average person, although with a lot more experience in arms handling and taking orders. The other main concern of people regarding youth military programs, such as the Sea Cadets, is that they will indoctrinate their children and teach their children horrible things and turn them into something just as equally horrible. I have dealt with people who have genuinely believed this firsthand and I'm here to outline some arguments, not against those far off beliefs, but also to prove that youth military programs can be extremely beneficial for the teens and children of today. Firstly, I will take the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps as my example, since I have been in the program for almost five years now and have had several amazing experiences. There is first the claim of toxicity. I can say from firsthand experience, this does not happen at all within the Sea Cadet Corps, as well as other youth military organizations who we work with closely. While you may get an extremely rare case, the programs have very strict rules against hazing, harassment, as well as fraternization, and have a system against this in the extremely rare situation in which this may happen the rules are usually not being enforced and there is no adult or officer supervision being provided now that is not to say that everyone within the sea cadet corps and youth military programs are a bunch of unsupervised rap scallions in fact it's the opposite the sea cadet corps trains not just cadets but the adults in the program about leadership and organizational as well as communication skills which are three very important things in today's society, skills which are rapidly decreasing. Every cadet, as well as adult, is instructed in the code of conduct and held to an exceedingly ambitious standard, as well as expectations. Pardon the ringing phone in the background. There is a strictly followed ranking structure inside of the program. Officers are addressed as sir and ma'am. And in addition to this, there is cadet leadership, As I said, all of the cadets get their opportunity to lead, and this is how. Usually under the title of petty officer. Petty officers are cadet leadership who handle pretty much everything from carrying out the POD, which is a plan of the day, and they are responsible for supervising their junior cadets and the detachment for making sure everything is done not only on time, but so that they are where they need to be when they need to be there. I think, yeah. They're also responsible for making sure the detachment keeps its bearing, which is a military formality of sort. Another positive side of the Sea Cadet Corps is that they offer incredibly unique trainings. Now, this is based around the argument. This is based upon the fact that there is a toxic work environment within the youth military program simply off of the assumption that it runs just like the military. Now, trainings can consist of a lot of different things. However, everyone starts out with one basic one. All Sea Cadets, just like anyone enlisting in the Navy, must attend a two-week mandatory training session. These training sessions are taught by the Navy's Recruit Training Command at Naval bases or stations, not only around the states, but around the world in some cases. The curriculum of this training is approved by the US Navy and standardized at all training sites cadets receive around 106 hours of classroom instruction, as well as quite a bit of marching, with a focus on the Navy's core values of honor, courage, and commitment. Both tone and tenor of instruction are modeled after the Real Navy's recruit training. And after attending these trainings, dozens of other opportunities can be unlocked. In addition to these unique and well-staffed and taught trainings, there is coursework as well which must be completed, as well as rigorous physical and ma- physical testing and time and grade to be promoted. Despite what people may think, this causes a very encouraging and team-building environment, and I can say myself, I have met quite a few of my closest friends in this program, and it is extremely well thought out and executed the entire time. So in short, with this argument, trainings not only provide a very, team, a very encouraging environment, but a place for cadets to meet fellow cadets with similar interests and hobbies, a place for cadets to help each other out in times of need, which is quite often at recruit training. You can help a fellow cadet with homework, and you can become their friend for a long time. In fact, in one of my training experiences, a lot of the cadets at my RT, the recruit training, I met later at a medical training which was very exciting because I got to see them again, and it was really good to see my past comrades. So, to conclude, the, youth, the USNSCC is a national youth leadership development organization, and basically it promotes interest and skill in naval disciplines while instilling strong moral character and life skills through leadership and technical programs modeled after the real Navy's professional development system. It builds a team building environment and is highly professional, but it's not degrading on the cadets within the program, in fact, quite the opposite. Everyone is always willing to offer help and support their shipmate. It can give younger kids on the Youth Navy League and teens a chance to learn quite a bit of useful information, as well as how to organize adapt to situations and how to lead and communicate clearly to major skills needed in today's society. The program also exposes cadets to public service and a variety of career paths through hands-on training with our nation's armed service members. It was a program built to help those who joined it develop into refined leaders and people of great character, intelligence, and to provide a positive hands-on team building experience while doing so. Thank you.
1: Thank you all. I must say you've made it very easy on me as a first-term Wittenberg instructor. I'm very proud of you, and I'm thankful for all of the folks who are watching the recording of this, and I encourage them to consider taking Rhetoric 3 as well. Peace in Christ.
0: repeating for episode 55 is rhetoric. Now, we have spent many a minute here at the Wittenberg Hour discussing rhetoric, but given its importance, it is worth fleshing out further. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this about rhetoric. It says it is from the Greek to speak or to flow. Definition one is the art of speaking with propriety, elegance, and force. Definition two is the power of persuasion or attraction, that which allures or charms. Now, Quintilian, from whom we heard earlier in this episode, in his book Institutes of Oratory, devotes many words in Book 2, Chapter 15 to discussing all of the ways rhetoric has been defined. At the very end of the chapter, he finally says this, Oratory is the art of speaking well, since, when the best definition is found, he who seeks for another must seek for a worse. This being admitted, it is evident At the same time, what object, what highest and ultimate end, oratory has? That object or end, which is called telos, and to which every art tends. For if oratory be the art of speaking well, its object and ultimate end must be to speak well. Richard M. Weaver in his essay, Reflections on Modernity, says this, Men will always live by convictions, or they will kill themselves or go crazy. Rhetoric is the means we have of making convictions compelling to others by showing them in contexts of reality and of human values. The more I reflect, he goes on to say, with some effort at detachment upon rhetoric as a branch of learning and an art, the more I am convinced that it is the most humanistic of the humanities. It is more humanistic than literature because literature has its own aesthetic standards which are at least semi-autonomous and which constitute in this respect a kind of objective study. Rhetoric is more humanistic even than the study of a language, because a language has its structure and its way of working, which have to be mastered scientifically, up to a point anyhow. Rhetoric makes use of the resources of both language and literature, but its focus is always upon the human being. In any given case, its concern will be with a group of men in their historical not their general or abstract situation, for without this concern, there is no basis for appeal. It must take into account not only their generic nature, but what they know, what they have experienced, how they feel, and what the chances are of changing their attitude, if that is desired. Nothing could be more intensely humanistic than this. (laughs) The book worth reading for episode 55 is In Defense of Tradition, Collected Shorter Writings of Richard M. Weaver. In Defense of Tradition was compiled and edited by Ted J. Smith III and published by the Liberty Fund. Ted Smith begins his introduction thus. On Wednesday, April 3rd, 1963, the quiet routine of the College of the University of Chicago was disrupted by reports that Professor Weaver had failed for a second day to meet his classes. Those who knew him well received the news with surprise and concern. A fixture on the campus for almost two decades, Weaver had acquired a reputation for a devotion to teaching that was remarkable even where those duties were still taken seriously. He was also well-known, even notorious, for the regularity of his daily activities. On a typical day, he would arrive at his office in the early morning, teach two classes, and depart at exactly 11.30 for lunch at the Commons. After lunch, he would walk to his apartment to write a few pages and take a nap before returning to campus to teach his afternoon class, and attend to other academic chores. At 5.30, he went back to the commons for dinner, walked home, and worked until 9.30. Though it was a source of merriment among some members of the university community, Weaver was proud of this strict regimen and often noted with approval the story of the citizens of Konigsberg setting their watches by Immanuel Kant's perambulations in the town square. For a man such as this, Only the gravest necessity would compel him to miss classes without notice, and when a telephone call to his apartment went unanswered, the concern of his friends changed to alarm. Their worst fears were confirmed that afternoon when word came that Richard Malcolm Weaver was dead at the age of 53, the victim of a heart attack, alone at night, in his bed. Now, this book, In Defense of Tradition, is also the subject of our Tuesdays with Tallman experience this summer in 2021. But given our focus on rhetoric and our focus on the celebration of original oratory that we have experienced in episode 55, in defense of tradition seemed a logical Suggestion for our books worth reading. The essays in this work run the gamut in terms of topics. Section one is life and family. Section two, the critique of modernity. Section three, which is a particular favorite of mine, is education and more than likely, we'll have another episode down the road where we discuss some of these particular essays in this particular section. But moving on, section four is rhetoric and sophistic. And Dr. Tallman uh, is taking up these essays in this summer's Tuesdays with Tolman. We'll leave a link to join in and be part of the Tuesdays with Tallman experience in the episode notes. So if you're interested in diving in with Richard M. Weaver and not diving in alone, uh, I would encourage you to consider participating in this summer's Tuesdays with Tallman. Section five is the humanities, literature, and language. Section six is politics. Section seven is history, and section eight is the South. All of these essays, the the wonderful thing about Richard M. Weaver is that you can pick up an essay and just read one. If you don't have a lot of time, you can just pick up in defense of tradition, open it up and drink in one of the essays. Or you can dive in further And and read an entire section. Either way, Richard M. Weaver, and uh, thanks to uh, Ted Smith, gives us such a breadth of topics on which to ponder. Rhetoric certainly being one of them, but certainly not limited to rhetoric. So... In defense of tradition, you can pick this collection up for around $15, uh, maybe a little bit less, and you will find it worth every single penny you spend. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.